when you have a service like this, you have to be really, really careful. You know, we've planned and we've practiced and we've got a lot of things that we intended to do today. But I learned a long time ago, God can do more in just a moment than we can do with all of our effort and all of our processes. It's just when he comes in, just in a moment, things can change. Things. When Jesus is in the house, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Let me read you a verse, and uh, I'll be quick. And uh, um, we made a commitment years ago that when we had service, we wanted three component parts. Uh, this, this is conjecture on my part. I, it's, I think it's probable. You can sit down. You've been standing for a long time. And uh, it's, uh, I, I think this is probable. I don't know if it's provable. But I've heard people talk about um, arch, archangels. But it's not arch, it's arch, A-R-C-H. Just like in some religions, there's a bishop and there's an archbishop. The Bible talks about angels and then it talks about archangels. And as near as we can tell in the Bible, there were three of them. There is Gabriel, Michael, and um, Lucifer. And um, each one of them had a different role. Lucifer is who the Bible refers to. He's a fallen archangel. We would refer to him as Satan today. But uh, there's an interesting verse. It's in the 12th chapter of Revelation. And it says that when, the, when he fell, he took a third of the angels with him. So, it's possible that the angels were in thirds. Gabriel had a third. Michael had a third. Lucifer had a third. When you study the Bible, these three archangels have very specific roles. Gabriel was a messenger angel. We've got several references in the Bible. Every time he showed up, something was communicated. He said something very specific when he came. Michael is a warrior angel. There's four times in the Bible when you read about Michael. And uh, just make sure I'm not too loud, gentlemen. I think I'm a little up here. I'm just, I'm a little, it's, this is an interesting day. I was going to teach you a lesson called, what are you going to do when the lights go out? And the lights went out. And, uh, I've warned you for years, don't let this screen become your Bible. And uh, today is the perfect proof of that. So I'll abbreviate what I'm going to do because uh, a lot of it I wanted to do on this screen behind me. Anyway, every time you read about Michael, he's fighting, he's warring. And before Satan fell, basically he was heaven's choir director. The Bible talks about his tabrets and his pipes. He had this amazing voice. And um, so there's a scripture that said, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so when you look at the original heaven, the original heaven had three divisions. It had a third that were Singers, worshipers, it had a third that were messengers, and it had a third who were warriors or demonstration. So I think that is what a perfect church service should be. I think we need to have some music, and then we need to have some word, and we need to have some demonstration. It's not enough just to for you to keep coming here and me pre- keep teaching you and nothing happen. So this is a little different here today. We've had a lot of the demonstration before the word. 
I don't care. I, I don't care if it happens in the middle of the service, at the beginning, or in, I don't care. I just want somewhere in a church service for the presence of the Lord to be manifested and God be able to do some amazing things. That's all I care about. That's what we're after. And I, I don't want to get sidetracked, but there are so many miracles in this room here today. And, and I just... Uh, uh, a year ago, I was afraid that Jay Bourne would be dead. But today, he's cancer-free, and we're just... <laughs> wow. Jesus' name. A year ago, Brother Reinhardt told me, Brother Hoffman, I'm in trouble at work and they are forcing me to work an abnormal schedule. And he said, I'm apologizing to you right now. You're probably not gonna see me for quite a while. So for one year, Greg has worked seven days a week, 12 hours a day for one year, but he's here today. And we just... Oh, great. And we love you, and, and you brought me joy. I have friends in Marston, Louisiana. Many of you have probably heard of that. They had a, on the way to Disney World. The pastor's wife was driving a van with their kids. They'd been saving for a year to go to Disney World. Had a terrible accident. Five of the kids in their youth group are dead. And uh, it's just a horrible, horrible thing. And so what do you get out of that? You got to be ready. That's what you got to get out of that. You just don't know. You just don't know. These are innocent people. They haven't done one thing. Just you go, how do you explain that? I just know that you and I, let, let's just live ready. Okay? Let's live ready. That's what we're going to do. I'll go fast. I'm going to, because I don't have a screen, you're going to have to listen to me or, or I'll lose you today. So, just pitch your mental tent here just for a moment. Let, let me read you a verse. This is in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17. It says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Watch this. And will give him a white stone. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. It just simply says, if you'll overcome, I'm going to give you a white stone. And uh, I've always been convinced in the Bible, God was a restorer. The, the word restoration um, is... is uh, it's an, it's an Old Testament word. You don't find it in the New Testament. The New Testament is restitution. Pretty much the same thing. L listen, listen to these verses. This is in Exodus 22. This is about the law of, of stealing, the law of restoration if something is taken or stolen from you. It said, if a man steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox, for sheep, for a sheep. And uh, there's, there's all these verses. Here's, here's 22 and 9. For all manner of trespass, whether it be for oxen or donkey or sheep or for clothing or for any lost thing which someone challenges to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judge and whoever the judges condemn, he's going to have to pay double to his neighbor. So there's this concept in the Old Testament that if you stole something, you, you couldn't just give back what you stole. You had to give more than you took. Now Israel, they're agri it's an agricultural community. They're farmers. So an, an ox is like a John Deere tractor. It's a big deal if you don't have engines on your equipment. If you got an ox 
That's a powerful thing. And that'll plow your field and do so much powerful work. If you stole somebody's ox, it's a bad deal. If they caught you with your neighbor's ox, you could say, okay, you can have it back. No, you got to give five back. And, and, and it says, if possible, they need to be better than what you stole. If you stole somebody's sheep, sheep was a big deal because it, of course, provided wool and clothing and ultimately food for them. So it, was, it served double duty on the farm. If you stole someone's sheep and they caught you, you, you couldn't just give the sheep back. You got to give four back. If, if, you know, and that's if stuff that you'd sold it or it's dead. Now, if they, if they caught you and it was still alive, at the very minimum, you had to give twice as much back as you took. There's a verse in the book of Proverbs that says, you will restore seven times. So there's, there's things in the Bible that are restored seven. Remember when David was confronted by Nathan, when David had, had killed his pal Uriah and had an affair with his wife, and now his best friend's wife is carrying his baby, and he's got it all covered up, and he's got his friend dead, and nobody knows. And this prophet walks into his court and says, you're the guy. You're the guy that stole and, and before that happened, Nathan told this story. There was a rich man, had all kinds of sheep. There was a poor man, had one sheep. The rich guy went across the fence, stole his neighbor's one sheep, fed it to his guest. His guest left. He still got all the stuff he had. Now his neighbor has got nothing. David jumps to his feet and he says, tell me who it is and I'll make him pay back four times because that's coming from Exodus 22. And he's so ignorant and so obtuse. He, he thinks we're talking about sheep. And all of a sudden the prophet looks and said, you're the guy. You're the guy that stole someone else's property. And if you take the time, I won't do it now, but if you take the time and study David's life, there were four specific judgments on his life, four things that God required of him because he took another man's wife. And uh, um, here's Job, you know. I, I, every time I see that, I, I remember years ago hearing a man say, when I first got into church, I was so ignorant. I thought Job was Job. I thought Psalms was Palms. He said, I thought the epistles were the apostles' wives. He said, uh, I thought John 3.16 was the men's room on the third floor. He said, I don't know anything about the Bible. So let me read you from Job chapter 1. It says his, he had seven sons, three daughters. He's got 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, so that's 1,000, 500 donkeys, a very great household. Now that's the beginning. But if you read the book of Job, he goes through horrible things and he loses everything except he's still alive. And, and, and this is what he says. They, they say, Job, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? And he said, I think if God killed me and never told me why. And then he said this, but though he slay me, I'm still going to trust him. How do you deal with that? You can't stop people like that. So he obviously lived in fear of losing all of his stuff because this is what he said. The thing I feared the most has happened to me. Let me explain something to you. Fear and faith are, are, are like Siamese twins. Here's what fear says. Fear says, I can't see it. I know it's going to happen, and it's going to be really bad. Faith says, I can't see it. I know it's going to be, it's going to happen, and it's going to be God, and it's going to be something great. You have to be careful that you don't live in fear because fear is negative faith. You really believe that's going to happen. And you've got to be careful because it, the Bible said fear's got torment. And that's why it says perfect love has cast out fear. 
And it's why it says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. If I'm talking to somebody right now and you're living in fear, you don't have to live that way. You really don't. And, and I, I, I know this is crude, but I've said this for years. If you want to go to hell, you can go. If you want to go to heaven, you can go. What do you want to do? Because nothing else in this world has what you and I have. Uh, I remember years ago, we had a lady come to church here who was the regional coordinator for PETA. You know what? People for the ethical treatment of animals. And she came to church and God moved on her. She was deeply moved. So she said, I need to talk to you right now. Can I talk to you in your office? I didn't know who she was. So I said, yeah, sure. Come on. We'll go to the office. Well, I, a, a missionary had given, we gave a missionary a bunch of money. So he gave me a zebra skin rug. And I had ducks and I had deer on the wall and, and fish. And she's like, she said, have you ever heard of PETA? I said, oh, yes, we have men in the church that belong to that. And she said, you do? She was so impressed. I said, it means people who eat tasty animals. That's what that means. She says, see, animals with eyes on the side of their head, they're prey. Animals with eyes on the front of their head, they're predators. My eyes are on the front of my head. What do you think God gave me ye for? This is not for salad. Okay, it's whatever. But it's just, so, you know, I said, well, Jesus ate fish, and Jesus ate lamb, and she said, oh, no, 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 Pastor. That's not fish. That's fish weed. That was a plant that grew on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. And I said, honey, I spent three years in seminary. I'm telling you, the Greek words, it's fish, ichthus. It's not weeds, it's fish. You know, she got so mad at me because I thought of a verse. We have people that will worship and serve the creature more than the creator. We're living in a world that will hug trees, save whales, and kill kids. We have aborted enough kids to populate Canada. And the Bible said it's an abomination when hands shed innocent blood. It's a big deal. And, 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 and here's Job. Here's Job. He lives in fear. He loses all this stuff. And so you read all these chapters of Job, and you get to the end. L listen to the end of Job. The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Because in the beginning, he had 7,000 sheep. Now he's got 14,000, twice as much. He had 3,000 camels in the beginning. Now he's got 6,000. He had 500 yoke of oxen or 1,000. Now he's got 1,000 yoke of oxen, so he's got 2,000. He's got not 500 she donkeys. He's got 1,000. And, and, I, and I love this. This, 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 is, this is Job 42 and verse 13. I wish I could show you on the screen. But it shows, it shows all this stuff that God gave him back. And then it says, and he had seven sons and three daughters. And it's almost like God did all this stuff for him. Oh, by the way, yeah, he got kids back. He got seven sons and three daughters. And, and every time I read that verse, it kind of puts this little check inside of me. Don't take the blessings of God for granted. Oh, by the way, there's a lot of by the ways. And, and, and what I'm trying to show you is he doubled. He doubled what Job had. They, they, remember Samson? There's, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger of the Old Testament. And he goes to Delilah's barber shop, And he says, finally, if you cut my hair, this is what he said, I'll be just like any other man. He, he had a covenant with God. He was a Nazarite. And he had a covenant with God. And, and listen to Judge. This is Judges 16 and 21. But the Philistines took him, plucked out his eyes bound him with, with handcuffs of brass, and he ground corn in the prison house. He was like an animal that just, just pulled this mill around. See, Samson was so foolish. He believed if he left his covenant with God, the worst thing that could happen to him is he'd be like everybody else. Everybody else wasn't blind. Everybody else wasn't grinding corn in a prison. And his hair starts to grow. 
uh, uh, you gotta, I'm watching, I'm talking to these kids here today. Uh, uh, I talked to one precious family here looking at their boy and I said, what a nice haircut. And his mom said, I did that. And I said, you did? You did it really? She said, well, we got all these boys. It's a lot of money for haircuts. So she said, I'd do it myself. And I understand that because that's the way I was when I was a kid. My grandpa cut my hair and he had these big thick glasses and he was half blind. And, and he had these horrible old shears that usually probably were used to trim sheep. And that's what he'd cut my hair with. And he'd always nick my hair and it'd always be dripping blood. And I'd go, come on, grandpa, for goodness sakes. You know, and I always told my grandpa, cut it long, grandpa, cut it long. And he'd say, son, if I cut off this finger, it's not getting longer. It's getting shorter. I can't make it longer, Harold. I can only make it shorter. And I, for years, I didn't have any hair. I mean, it was, not, it was high and tight, man. I mean, it was, they called it a crew cut back then, but there was no hair. I still remember in the third grade, I was sitting in class, and I was doing my, my, my work, and I reached up with my finger, and I went, oh. I got enough to curl. And I went home and I said, I don't want grandpa to cut my hair no more. So I went to a real barber and got some hair. At least I had some hair back then. And I'm thinking of Samson grinding this corn and reaching up one day and going, oh, look. And his hair starts to grow back. And this is what he said, God, if you'll just restore me, one more time. This is what it says in the book of Judges, that Samson did more at his death than during his entire lifetime. God restored him to where he not only did what he used to be able to do, he did far more. If you're familiar with the Bible, there's an Old Testament church house called the Tabernacle of Moses. It's a portable church. And they, they, they carried it for over 40 years when they moved in the wilderness. It's Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. They would pack up this thing and move. And they unpack it, set it up. But you, if you ever watched Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones made it famous. He, the most famous piece of furniture in the world is known as the Ark of the Covenant. They've been looking for it for years. And... Uh, if you read Jeremiah, he said, the ark's gone. I've given you a pastor now. You don't need the ark of the covenant. But people will keep looking for it. And um, there's this church house, and it's a tent. And it's got two rooms in it. The first one's called the holy place. The back part of the tent's called the holy of holies. Sometimes it's called the oracle in the Bible. That's the room where the ark of the covenant was. And, and I've, I can prove to you biblically, it's, it, it's a cubit is what you find. A cubit was considered the length from your elbow to the end of your longest finger. So depending on whether you had long arms or not, it could change. But it had to do with the king, let's measure, that's a cubit. I just know this, the, the holy of holies in the tabernacle of Moses was 10 by 10 by 10. It was, a, it was a cube, 10 cubits long, 10 cubits high, 10 cubits deep. But then Solomon builds this amazing temple. And, and, and this is what I found. I found this, this incredible verse that, 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 that um, it's in 1 Kings chapter 6. I'll read it to you from the message the inner sanctuary within the temple was for housing the chest of the covenant of God or the Ark of the Covenant. Watch. The inner sanctuary was a cube, 20 cubits long, 20 cubits high, 20 cubits deep. And I'm going, oh, it's twice as big. And I mentioned this when I was teaching in a conference one time in Chicago, and this man came up and he said, I'm not trying to be rude to you, Pastor Hoffman, but he said, I'm a physics professor. And he said, let me explain something to you. And they had a marker board in that church, and he said, here's your original holy of holies, 10 by 10 by 10. 
He said, but it's a cube. And as soon as he said that, it was like this, oh, I know where you're going. And I didn't see it before. He said, but if you have a cube 20 by 20 by 20, it's not twice as big. It's eight times bigger than it was. And that's why there's this famous verse that preachers have been quoting for years. It's in the book of Haggai. And it said, the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the former. And it's a prophecy because in the book of Acts, the church begins. That is what is known as where this thing, that's the first house. But it's a prophecy to us that the glory of the last house it's, it could be eight times bigger. It, it, it's God as a restorer. And see, in the Old Testament, it says, if the thief was caught, so in the, if, you, if the thief was caught, he's the one that's got to give it back. But in the New Testament, let, let, me, let, me, let me, I think I've got it written down here. This is Acts 3. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So there's something powerful there. You want refreshed? Repent. If you repent, the refreshing will come. Whom heaven must receive until the time of the restitution of all things, which all of the prophets have spoken about. So the deal is, We are in a very unique time prophetically in the Bible. I don't know of one prophecy yet to be fulfilled in the Bible before the coming of the Lord. I don't know. The last one that I ever knew of was this gospel shall be preached in all the world for a witness and then the end will come. But many of you know this guy. He's a dear friend of mine. His name is Lee Stone King. There's a pastor in Romulus, Michigan, and, 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 and his name is um, uh, Art Wilson, and he's been here, and he'll be back again this year, and he's an amazing guy. Art Wilson had a woman come to his church in Romulus, and, and God filled her with the Holy Spirit. They baptized her, and so he didn't even know who she was, and so he's talking to her after service, and he said, so, you know, what do you do? She said, um, I work in New York City, and he said, well, what are you doing? I'm just home for the holidays. And he said, well, what do, you, what do you do in New York City? She said, I'm a secretary at the United Nations. And she said, oh, would you like to come to New York City and teach a Bible study at the United Nations? And he said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And so for the last four years, Art Wilson has been going at least once, sometimes twice a month to New York City, and they have Bible study in the United Nations. It was really cool because about a year ago, they had a mass protest outside of the United Nations because this Pentecostal preacher was in there taking money. They said, he's a thief like every other preacher. How dare you let a thieving preacher use this building that was paid with taxpayer dollars that's supposed to be for the peace of nations. And, and, and the secretary general of the United Nations got out and he spoke to the crowd and he said, this man's been here for over three years. He's never asked for a dime. Not one dime. He does this all at his own expense. So the crowd dispersed. <laughs> so then they had this guy, Lee Stunking, and they said, would you address the General Assembly of the United Nations? And he said, okay. So Lee Stunking gets up and gives his testimony, how that God did all these miracles in his life. And he, he, he died in an airport in Sydney, Australia, and God raised him back up. And, 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 and it was all proven. It was all clinical. And, and, and so he gives his testimony, and then he said, I, I, I realize there are lots of different religions and lots of different faiths that are represented by this congregation, but he said, I have one final thing to say to you. I just give you Jesus. I just give you Jesus. Take advantage of it. So when it was done, my friend Art Wilson asked the people, where did that message go that Lee Stone King just spoke about? He, they said, it went everywhere. They said, he said, what do you mean everywhere? He said, we translated it into every known language and dialect in the world. So in my way of looking at that, that's the first time that I know of 
that the gospel has been preached to the whole world for a witness. That was the last, that's true. It's the last, it's the last prophecy that I ever could find in the Bible that had to be fulfilled before the coming of the Lord. You and I are living in this very unique time. And the promise is the glory of the last house is going to be greater than the former. So whatever you read in the book of Acts, he's going to do something greater now. You say, I don't know if I believe that. When you leave today, there's a picture hanging out there on the wall of friends of ours that were in Ethiopia. 600,000 people were there. Over 150,000 people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And people go, oh, you're just guessing. No, no, not in Ethiopia. In Ethiopia, when you claim that the Lord's filled you with his spirit, they've got books. They call them the book of life. They're massive. And you've got to put your name in. You've got to get your wife's name there if you have a wife. You have to write your mom's name and your dad's name. If you're married, your mom's dad's name and your mom's mother's name. It's in the book. So this is not just indiscriminately go, oh, I think 150,000 people were filled with the Holy Spirit. No, they got the names. My point is, the biggest number I can find in Acts is 5,000. There's a place in the Bible where 5,000 people were filled with the Holy Spirit on one day. That's greater than anything that's in the Bible. Jesus said, Greater things than these shall you do. We're seeing that happen. It's not going to be across the board. It's going to be for people that are hungry. It's going to be for people that want it. I'm, I'm 61 years old, and I told friends, I'm going through a midlife crisis. And people thought, oh, man, Sister Altman, you're in trouble. But I said, no, 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 you understand. I don't want a Harley Davidson. I don't don't want a red sports car. I sure don't need a 20-year-old blonde girlfriend. i tell you what I want. I want a harvest. That's what I want to see. I want to see a harvest. (laughs) I got Bible that it's promised to me. It's promised to me. So my deal is too many things go on in church that can be explained. I want stuff to go on in church nobody can explain. I want stuff to happen and people go, whoa, how'd that happen? That's what God can do. If I'm talking, if there's somebody in this room right now and you're just, you can't wrap your mind around it and think there's just no way this could ever change, you're wrong. You're wrong. And so I can give you verse after. I got such great stuff here I'd love to give you, but I just got a few more minutes. Let me read you a couple of verses that you'll probably go, what in the world is he talking about? This is in the book of Samuel. Before you, I read this, you know there's David. David's father-in-law is a guy named Saul. Saul's trying to kill David. Saul has got a, 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 um, a son by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan's got a boy named Mephibosheth. And it's very powerful because Mephibosheth was a baby and his nanny, his babysitter, dropped him. Something happened to his legs and he was lame for the rest of his life. When David gets on the throne, he says, is there anybody left in the house of Saul? Saul had seven sons. They were all hung. Saul was killed. Is there anybody left from Saul's house? And they go, yep, there's one limping grandson named Mephibosheth. And David said, get him and let him sit at my table for the rest of his life. I always thought that was great because when I think of a king, I don't think a king had a plastic table. I, I envision a table, nice tablecloth, you know, good, good plates, the whole stuff. Think of it. You're, you're, you're lame. Your legs don't work good. But you're sitting at the king's table. All they see is from here up. 
Your, your lame legs are stuck underneath the table cover. It's what the king does. He hides your flaws. He covers your problems. And, and so, they, 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 this, is, this is an amazing story. This what, listen to it. It said, and Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, who was David, and had neither dressed his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. It came to pass when he was, when David was come, when Mephibosheth was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said, why didn't you go with me when I left? If you know the history, David's got a rotten boy by the name of Absalom who tried to kill his own dad and take his throne. So David just left and said, you want the throne? There, go. I don't want to kill my own boy. But so Absalom is trying to kill his dad. So David is basically leaving town really fast. And he, Absalom dies a terrible death. David comes back to claim his throne. When he gets there, he meets Mephibosheth and he said, why didn't you come with me when I left? And he said, oh, king, my servant lied to me. My servant said, I'll saddle a donkey and I'll ride and go ahead of you because you're lame and you can't go real fast. And he has slandered me unto you. But my Lord, the king is an angel of God. Do therefore whatever is good in your eyes. So if you, I won't give you all the details, but basically Mephibosheth had this servant and he, 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 he's trying to connive and get something for himself. And he tells Mephibosheth, you, 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 you're lame. You can't go real fast. I'll tell you what. I'll get on a donkey. I'll go meet David as he's leaving town. And I'll make your, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give him all your, you know, tell you're sorry and all that kind of stuff. And you're coming. And, 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 and so Mephibosheth was, take this, take this gift to the king. So this servant goes and finds David as he's running out of town, trying to stay ahead of his boy who wants to kill him. And the king says, where's Mephibosheth? And the servant lies and said, Mephibosheth has joined up with your boy. He, 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 he knows what side his bread is buttered on. But I have come to you, and I've got this gift I want to give you because I'm on your side, David. So Absalom dies, David comes back, and Mephibosheth comes to meet him. It's very clear he hasn't washed his clothes. He was very meticulous. His beard isn't, isn't trimmed. He looks, looks like he just clawed out of bed. And it's so out of character for him. And David said, hey, man, what gives? I, 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 I've been taking care of you. I, I, he... You were a nobody from nowhere. I could have just avoided. I took you into my house. I treated you like my own boy. I, I let you sit at my table. And Mephibosheth says, look, my servant lied to you. And he said, you might believe him. You might want to believe me. But he said, I don't care. He said, I didn't even trim my beard. I didn't even put clean clothes on. I heard you were coming back and I was so excited that the real king was coming back to claim his throne. I just wanted to greet you and tell you, thank you for everything you've done for me. Now, if you think I'm a liar and I was an associate with your, with your boy, Absalom, then kill me if you want to. I just want you to know I'm just delighted that you're alive and you're back on the throne. And so David gets this servant and he gets Mephibosheth and he puts him in front of him. See, he's got this inheritance, that all this land that he was supposed to get. And so remember when Solomon divided the baby? Where did he learn to do that? He learned to do it with his dad because David did the same thing years before. He got Mephibosheth and the servant in front of him and he said, hmm, who should I give the land to? Should I give half of it to you? You were going to get all of it, Mephibosheth, but should I give half of it to you and half of it to this servant who said you're a liar? And this is what Mephibosheth said. Give it all to him. 
I don't want any land. I'm just glad you're still alive. And the servant said, well, I'd still like some land. And David said, you're the liar, not this boy. And the lesson is very simple. I just want to be in your presence. I don't care about all the stuff. I don't care about all the perks and all the per diems. I'm just glad you're home safe. Uh, Watch, I'll go fast. This is what I call progression in the Bible. This is what it says in James. It says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. If you fight him, see, Satan's lazy. If you you fight him, he's going to go, I'm not wasting my time on this. I'm going to find all these other people who won't put up a fight. And there's a lot of them that will do that. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But my question is, how do you resist Satan? And the answer is obvious. You've got to get strong. So my question is, how do you get strong? And the answer to that question is in Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So my question is, okay, I know where it's coming from. I know that I'll get strong if I have the joy of the Lord. Then my question is, what's the joy of the Lord? And the answer to that, here's, here's Luke 15. This is a story about the good shepherd. It said the good shepherd left the 99 that were in the barn, went and found the one lost sheep, and came back rejoicing. So when the good shepherd finds a lost sheep, it really makes him happy. Watch this verse. This is in Hebrews. It's talking about Jesus on the cross. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What was before him? In other words, what was on the other side of the cross? Why did Jesus and how could he go through all of that brutality and all that humiliation? Because he knew on the other side of this, I'm going to have a church. Once my blood is shed, I'm going in that grave and I'm going to resurrect. When that happens, I'm going to have a church. The bride of Christ is what the Bible calls that. That's what gave him the strength to go through the humiliation of the cross. Who for the joy. What is the joy of the Lord? It's obvious. When something lost gets found. Okay? Listen to this verse. This is Revelation 4 and 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for... Watch. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. That's talking about you and me. The big philosophical question, who am I and why am I here? It's right there in that verse. You're a child of the Most High God. All right? You're not random act of chance. It would be easier if you detonated a bomb in a printing factory and out popped Webster's unabridged dictionary than to believe that you used to be a one-celled organism and now through evolution, here we are. I asked my professor one time, he was teaching on something called thermodynamics and he was a big proponent of evolution. And I, and I said, wait a minute, you're talking about entropy and enthalpy. If you know your, your, your physics and, and, and all that thermodynamics, this is what it says. Things go from order to chaos. Things go from greater order to, 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 to just, just, it's a mess. It's called entropy and enthalpy. I forget which is which. One of them means order and the other means chaos. And he said, of course, Harold. He said, if you throw a piece of metal out in the yard, it's going it's to rust. It's not going to get shinier. If you throw a piece of wood out in the yard and let it rain and snow on it, it's going to rot. It's not going to get better. I said, exactly. And he, he said, you've always been strange, Hoffman. What are you talking about? I said, you just taught us that we came from a, a, a one-celled organism in the mud. And all of a sudden, now we have progressed into this amazing creature that can walk upright. That sounds to me like you're going from chaos to order. But you said thermodynamics is order to chaos. So which one's right? 
And he wouldn't answer my question and left. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care how much money you make. I don't care if you live in a snooty part of town. I don't care if you have a gold card to every boutique in Somerset. Listen to me. It's not going to scratch where you itch. You got a God blank inside of you. For his pleasure, we were created. We're supposed to please God. Right? What gives him more joy than anything else? When you are actively involved in trying to find somebody that's lost their way and giving them direction back to Jesus Christ. When you do that, that's called the joy of the Lord. That's where you get your strength from. You get what I'm saying? Be, here's my... Oh, yes. It's the big buzzword is purpose. What is purpose? You've got to live for somebody other than yourself. You've got to quit being stingy and self-centered and quit being a diva and a jock and whatever other names we got going on now. It's, it's craziness. It's me, 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 me. But nowhere in the Lord's Prayer will you ever read the word me or I. It's our Father who art in heaven. Thy will be done. Not my will. Thy will be done. It, it's, it's all about somebody else. Do you get what I'm saying? Get actively involved in helping someone else. If you will, that's what gives God joy. That's where your strength comes from. That's how you'll be able to resist the enemy. You're not going to really be able to resist the enemy if you spend your life being stingy. You've got to be involved in trying to help somebody else. You got it? I, I, oh, this is sad. In the Old Testament, they had a priest. Priest had seven different things on him. But the thing that we want to concern ourselves today is what's called the breastplate. The breastplate was two metal coverings. One covered his front, one covered his back, and had these straps. Straps went underneath his armpits and they went over his shoulders. It's cool because when you read it, they're called ouches. And the ouches or the straps are what kept the breastplate on the priest, the Old Testament pastor. And over his heart were 12 stones. And each one of them stones represented one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's so much typology there, but it's like there's... He's supposed to keep the people on his heart at all time. L listen to this verse, you, just so you'll realize that I'm not making this up. And thou shalt put in the breastplate the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart. And when he goeth in before the Lord, Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. I got all these verses written down, but I'll, we don't have time to do all that. And it won't make sense if it's not up there for you to see. There are these curious words in the Old Testament called Urim and Thummim. What were they? So I asked an Orthodox rabbi in Southfield, what in the world was the Urim and the Thummim? And he said they were rocks, a black rock and a white rock. And sometimes the priest had to make a decision and he didn't know what to do. So underneath the breastplate was this little pocket that was sewn. He would reach in there, have no idea which one he has a hold of. They're, they're totally identical except color. He would reach in. If he pulled out a black rock, it meant no. If he pulled out a white, white rock, it meant yes. When Saul was so messed up at the end of the life, the Bible said, and there was no Urim and no Thummim in his life. Watch. If you'll overcome, he said, I'll give you a white rock. What's it mean? It means the answer's going to be yes. Listen, I don't care. I'm not 
diminishing what you've done. I always, for years I would say, God will accept you as you are. No, he won't. God will accept you as you are if you want to repent. But get out of this idea that I can serve God and live any old way I want. Don't work that way. If you have a repentant heart, I've asked people for years, if there was more, would you want it? I've never ever had anybody say no. So when people come and visit this church, I say, I know this is probably a little crazy for you, all this noise and all this shouting and all this kind of stuff. It goes on a ball game. Why, I, why is church going to be dead as last year's bird nest? Why? I don't want to go to church dead like that. We had a lady visit here years ago. I said, I hope you'll come back. She said, come back. This was better than King's Six Flags and King's Island all put together. She said, I never knew what was going to happen next. And her little boy said, why were you so mad and yelling at everybody? <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. But I've asked people, pray a simple prayer. Say, God, if these people are crazy, I don't want nothing to do with this. But if this is real, and this is a place where me and my family can grow, I'm asking you to give me the courage to investigate it. That's all I'm asking. Just give us a chance. Just give us a chance. That's all I'm asking. If I mess it up, that's on me. But just give us a chance. Just come, expose yourself to the worship, expose yourself to the word, let your kids get some great friends. Aren't you tired of your teenage kids running around people that look like they crawled out of a garbage can? I, I, it's just crazy stuff that goes on it today. I'm just, I just, and it's like, don't, don't you want your kids to have some good friends? Don't, don't you want to come to church and, 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 and it be more than just some social thing? Don't you want to come to church and, 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 and let God interrupt your life? That, that's, what I'm, that's what we're all about. Somewhere he wants to challenge you. See, my, here's my message to you this day. I'm tired of waiting for next year. I, I, I don't... <laughs> boy, that, make sure this doesn't go in the podcast. I don't want to be the Lions fans of Pentecost. I've been here for 30 years. Just wait till next year. Just wait, boy. We're really going to, we're next. And they keep losing and losing and losing and losing. And I know churches, you just wait till next year. Well, next year's here. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I say this is the first service of the new year. Stand. It's, you see this guy back here, this, this, this worship leader? He's, it's just a miracle. Dad is not in the picture. Mom is confused, got all kinds of challenges. Here's this young guy whose uncle was driving down the road in Dallas and said, heard about a meeting about prophecy, came, was so moved, God filled him with his spirit, he got baptized, and he took Draylon, and he said, we're going to church. All of a sudden, Grandpa's coming. Draylon's riding a bus for I forget how long, every day, just to get to a Christian school. For years, he's riding on a bus, and he said, Pastor, when I was just a young teenager, I had this dream that I was going to be married and I was gonna have a baby, and I'd have a house, and I'd be working in a church, and I'd be writing my own music, and I'd be leading a worship service. <laughs> and he said, I'm 25 years old. My boy was just born. I'm, I don't, I'm not renting, I own my own house. He said, I've got this amazing wife. We're writing songs. I'm leading worship in this church. He said, I don't know what to do. I said, I know exactly what to do. He said, what? I said, you got to dream a new dream. Because the dream you thought was so beyond impossible, you've already got it. You're 25. So what are you going to do with the rest of your life? We're going to make up another dream. If God can make that impossible thing happen, listen to this verse. He will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that works in you. So you know what? When I re that means we set the bar. 
If you talk about Jesus and he's, he's weighed down on the food chain and he's in competition with all these other gods and he's scratching in his head and he's going, I don't know what to do now. If, if you have a mental, if you have a midget for a deity, what if you start saying great things about him? And if you can't say them, could you at least start thinking them? They're, they're too crazy to even say. But could you at least start saying them in prayer? This is the promise. He'll exceed what you talk about and what you think about. But it's according to the faith that works in you. So my idea was, what do we got to lose? Let's think great thoughts. Let's say great things. <laughs> Let me tell you a story and then we'll sing. And then we'll... I have a friend in Indiana, the Mitchells, and he, he was in law school here, Ryan Mitchell. I was there when he was born. And when they brought him home, he had a giant head. And his, his mom said, oh, he's got water on the brain, hydrocephalitis or something like that. He's got water on the brain. So she took him back to the doctor. The doctor holds him up to the light, you know, you baby skin's diaphanous, looking at his muscles, looking at his bones, sets him down, pushes on his little foot. He's just a couple weeks old, pushes on his foot, and Ryan goes, boom, and kicks him back. And he takes his hand and pushes, and Ryan goes, boom, like that. And the doctor goes, Mrs. Mitchell, your son is going to be an amazing athlete. And she said, what? Your son has coordination His muscle coordination is advanced way beyond where he should be right now. His legs, his arms, he's going to be a great ball player, Mrs. Mitchell. And she said, I didn't come here to find out if my boy was going to be a ball player. For God's sake, look at his head. (laughs) He said, Mrs. Mitchell, there's nothing wrong with your baby boy. He said, let me teach you something about physiology. I believe your boy's healthy. Just come back in a month. I promise you the body will catch up to the head and will be in perfect proportion. And when she said that to me, everything in my spirit went, oh, I get it. Because right now, according to Ephesians, he's the head of the church, which is his body. So what happens when you brag on somebody? They get a big head. So... If we keep bragging on our head, if the body's healthy, it'll catch up. I don't care how big your Jesus is, if the church is healthy, the body will be in perfect proportion to the size of your head. So I say, let's exalt him. Let's magnify him. People say, your Jesus is bigger than your church. Maybe right now, but you just wait. Because we're going to catch up. I wish you could have been in planning session. We were here for hours yesterday doing budgets and planning. I wish I could show you just what we have planned for the year. I was so excited when I left that meeting. I went, if I was ever going to go to any church in the world, I was going to go to this one. Because the lineup of speakers and the different, it's it's just great stuff. It's just, it's going to be a fun ride. But that's in the future. What about today? To you, you're in high school. What are you going to do? Amen. To you younger youth group, older singles, young married couples. What about all, all of these people in this room we got gray hair and bifocals? What are we going to do right now? I'm tired of saying wait till next year. I'm believing God. This I don't care what the number is. We got to find something unique about 19. No, you don't. Forget about that. We got a God that's waiting right now. And what we want to say is, I, you don't have to give me a bunch of stuff. I'm just glad you're on the throne. I'm just glad to be in your presence. I'm just glad to be serving you. I'm glad to be on this side of the dirt. I've got your air in my lungs, your sanity in my mind. i got your strength in my body. I'm serving you this year better than I ever have before. This is a year when I'm going to gain ground. 
See, I know, I don't know you, but I know me. I'm not gonna be judged against you and you're not gonna be judged against, I'm gonna be judged against the man I was supposed to be. That's the guy that motivates me. That's also the guy that torments me because I know God's called me to be better than I am right now. And my deal is I'm still breathing and I'm making a fresh covenant with God. This is the year that I gain more ground in the spirit and in the word than I ever had before. I'm your guy. You're my master. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to please you with my life because I'm not going to worry just about me and mine. I'm going to get invested and involved with someone other than myself, bring joy to you, get strength in my life and resist the enemy. Come with me as we close. I won't embarrass you. Just come. We're going to sing just a little while longer. All right. We've had some word. You know, we've had some demonstration. Amen. Got some the choir. We're going to sing for a while. Come rejoicing. Come clapping. It's just a great way to end a service.